letter of 1 John, um, you've noticed that uh, the background is a heart, and the heart is in some ice, and the ice is melting, and we'll develop that picture out a little bit more next week, but my hope is, as we've been traveling through this series, that that's what's been happening to your heart. Um, our series is covering the letter of 1 John. If you remember, John, the letter of 1 John was written by the apostle or the disciple John. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And uh, he was the youngest of all the disciples. He, was, um, he wrote the letters of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote the gospel according to John. So he's responsible for a lot of the content of uh, the New Testament. Um, so we turn today to 1 John chapter 1, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. And so as is our custom, I'm going to ask for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's stand together, 1 John chapter 3, and let's read God's Word to us together. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we, what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You may be seated. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? should have practiced that a few more times before we got out here. Um, Ah, yeah, so let's just go ahead and travel through these verses together. Let's start at verse 1. John begins, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. Now, in the NIV, it doesn't quite drill home the point of what he makes here at the beginning. He says, how great, and in some other of the translations, it says, see, exclamation point, or behold, exclamation point. And so you get that in some of the other translations. The point is, John makes an exclamatory remark. In the Greek, they didn't have exclamation points. They had literal endings to verbs, uh, endings to words that makes a particular word or particular statement exclamatory, right? So that's his way of saying exclamation point. And so what is it that's so great, John? What are you so excited about? Because he's trying to get us excited about this particular thing. So what is it, John, that you're so excited about? He says, what I'm excited about is the love that the Father has lavished on us. He's trying to draw our attention to this. He's trying to stop us. I mean, we're two chapters through. We're now into the start of the third chapter. And John's like, hey, pause for a second. Time out for a second. What I'm about ready to share with you is of such magnitude. What I'm about ready to share with you is so outstanding. It's so great. What is it? It's this love that the Father has lavished on us. And how has God shown us this love? He's shown it to us by calling us his children, and that's what we are. Amen? Pretty exciting stuff. Exclamation point, exclamation point, right? And so John is so fired up about this. You say, well, Gordon, that sounds really good. You know, we get to be children of God. That's really exciting for John. But I mean, what's so great about being a child of God? And so what I'd like to do with the balance of the time that I have left here this morning is to talk about the benefits that go along with being a child of God. Um, what are the benefits of being a child of God? What benefits come along with being the children of God? Well, benefit number one is that as a child of God, we have direct access to our Father in heaven. We have direct access 
to our Father in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 tells us, For through Jesus we have access to the Father. That means that when I dial up God, when I plug in his number and say, Dear God, right, that I get him on the other line. When I ring heaven, I don't get him put on hold. I don't get sent to his voicemail. I don't get the Apostle Peter. I don't get the Apostle Paul. I don't get the Apostle John, which would be great to talk to those guys, but that's not who I'm interested in talking to. I get the God of the universe with all the powers of creation at his disposal, with all the power, the almighty power that he has at his disposal, and I get direct access to him. You know, when one of my kids calls me up and I see their number come through on my phone, I don't say, well, I'm going to let that one go over to voicemail. Or maybe I don't feel like answering that right now. Friends, it's just the same way with God. When we dial him up 24-7, 365, God always picks up on the other end of the line. Whether we come to him with our problems, whether we come to him with a request that we have to make, God wants to hear those things. He's always there, ready to hear us on the other side of the line because we are his children right? Number one. So that's number, so number two. The, the second benefit of being a child of God is the promise of eternal life. Paul writes Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said John chapter 3 and verse 14, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man, Jesus, must be lifted up, referring to his crucifixion. Verse 15, here comes the benefit. So that, because of his, his crucifixion, everyone who believes in Jesus may have eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to say, verse 17, that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Friend, at a as a child of God, you, your destiny is not in hell. Your destiny is an eternal life in heaven, friends. You are not condemned because Jesus uh, died on the cross for your sins, and if you turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will spend eternity with him in heaven. That's a wonderful benefit, right? Amen? Of being a child of God. All right, number three, a third benefit of becoming a child of God is that the God of the universe is working out a redemptive plan in our lives. That the God of the universe is working out a redemptive plan in our lives. You know, we live in a fallen world, bad stuff happens. We live in a fallen world and we have struggles. We live in a fallen world and there's things that don't go our way. We live in a fallen world and there's things that hurt us and people that hurt us and people that we love that are hurt. And what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, do you all know that one? If you don't know that one, you need to memorize that one. It's a wonderful promise that God gives us. God says there, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God works through all things for the good of those who love him. God works through all things, friends. That means that God works through your bankruptcy. God works through your cancer diagnosis. That God works through the rotten boss you got at work, or maybe you got a good one. It means that God is working through the bumps in your marriage. It means that God is working through your washing machine blues. God is working through all things, all of that, the good and the bad. He's working through all of that for your good. God's redeeming the bad stuff. And he's turning it around for your good. He's working out that plan in your life. Exclamation point, exclamation point, right? So you can see why John was so excited that we're called children of God. It means that no matter what you're going through, and you may be really going through it <clears throat> right now, that God has a plan for it. 
<clears throat> that God is going to turn it around for your good, and that's worth getting excited about. Think about Joseph. Going back to the Old Testament in Genesis, Joseph, he had some pretty rotten days. Guy got thrown in jail for like 13 years. He's in jail there. Uh, his brothers had, had abandoned him, had uh, told their dad that he was dead. Things were looking pretty grim for Joseph. But one day God, threw, uh, God gives Pharaoh a dream, and Joseph gets called up out of the prison cell to interpret the dream. And the next thing you know, Joseph has a ring on his finger, and he becomes the prime minister, the guy in charge of the Egyptian empire. That's a quite a turnaround, friends. And so Joseph exclaims toward the end of his life after lots of these things have worked themselves out. He says, looking back on all that, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, what you, talking to his brothers, what you intended for to harm me, God intended for good. God works through all things for the good of those who love him. That's one of the great benefits of being a child of God. Okay, one last benefit that I'll mention, because there's a whole bunch more, but one last that I'll mention is that um, we inherit the promises of God. As children of God, we inherit the promises that God has made us. And in the Bible, God makes us lots of wonderful promises. For example, God makes us promises about our finances. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Perhaps you may have a reason to doubt that right now. Perhaps there's some financial strain going on in your family. It's been going on for years. But God makes you a promise that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. God makes you promises about anxiety and about fear that we have. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You, God, will keep in perfect peace. Will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast, who's focused on you, who trusts in you. Verse 4, so trust in the Lord forever. He made us promises about when it's our time to go, when it's our time to depart from this world. Um, uh, Psalms chapter 139 and verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friend, not one germ, not one cancer cell, not one blood clot, not one piece of plaque in your artery. There is nothing in this world that's going to take you out of it before, one moment before, the full plan of God has, that was written in his book is complete for your life. And God makes us promises about protection from enemies. God makes us protect, promises about guilt. God makes us promises about forgiveness. Wonderful promises that God makes us. And he makes us those to us in the scriptures. And those are available to us. We inherit those promises because we are his children. You say, Gordon, how can I know? that God will keep all of his promises. How can I know that he's really going to, I mean, anybody could say, you know, lots of stuff, and God says lots of stuff in the scriptures. How can I know that he's really going to do it? How would I know that he's going to really follow through? Well, Jeremiah in the Old Testament was wondering this exact same thing, and so God responded to him. Jeremiah's looking around at the signs of the times. He's looking around at what's going on in his world, and he's saying, God, I don't see how these things that you're saying are going to happen are going to happen. And so God reassures him. He says, Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 29, or 27, he says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah, there's nothing 
There's nothing that I cannot do. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26. He said, with man, this is impossible. This may seem like a no, this is never going to happen. But Jesus said, but with God, all things are possible. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9, God says, I am, I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is nobody like me. Nobody like me. And then he says, verse 10, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say this, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God said, I will do, nothing's going to hold me back. Nothing's going to thwart my purposes. I will do everything that I promise. Now, friends, that doesn't sound like somebody who's wishy-washy on follow-through. <laughs> right? God's going to come through. He's going to follow through on what he says. Um, there's nothing is going to stop him from making good on his promises. All right, let's just do a little bit of review here. John says, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, that we are children of God. And John is excited about this with all these exclamatory remarks that he makes here because there are some tremendous benefits that go along with being a child of God. Benefit number one is that we have direct access to God our Father. Number two is that we have eternal life in heaven with him. That's a wonderful benefit that we get as a child of God. Number three, third benefit is that God is redeeming the mess that happens to us and in our lives. God is redeeming that for our good. And number four, benefit number four, is that we inherit the promises of God. Promises about our finances, promises about our future, promises about fear, promises about his peace. We inherit the promises of God. Okay? You say, amen, great, let's head on home. No, we got one more little thing we got to talk about here. I've grown quite fond of this, right? It's the question that we ask every week around here. And that question is, well, what difference does all this make? To my life. You say, Gordon, I got bills to pay. Uh, we're almost at the end of the school year. I'm thinking about, you know, summer vacation. That's really great to know I'm a child of God and I got all these benefits. But I mean, what difference does this make in my everyday walking around world? What difference does this make to me? Well, let me say, first of all, that all these wonderful benefits only apply if, keyword, if you are a child of God. Like, you don't get the benefits just because you're a living, breathing human being who's been born into the world. Not everybody who's a living, breathing human being is born into the world is a child of God. You only get the benefits if you're a child of God. You say, well, Gordon, what do I got to do to be a child of God? Well, the scriptures tell us, John tells us in his gospel, John chapter 1 and verse 11, he says, talking about the Lord Jesus, John writes, Jesus came to that, to this earth, which was not his own, but his own, the peoples of the earth, did not receive him. Verse 12 Yet to all who did receive him, who responded to him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So you see, friends, you can, be, you can become a child of God. It isn't hard to become a child of God. What has to happen for you to become a child of God is for you to recognize that you have a sin problem in your life that you can't fix, that you can't solve, that when you get to heaven's gates, you can hold up in front of God all the wonderful things that you did in your life. You can hold up in front of him all the philanthropy that you did. You can show him all the good works that you did and talk about how you were a good person and how you treated other people well and how you gave money to the Red Cross and to the 
uh, to the tornado fund and to everything else. And God's going to say, yeah, but did you ever turn to my son for the forgiveness of your sins? And friends, if you hadn't done that, then you're not, you don't become a child of God. That's what it takes. You have to, as the scripture said, receive the Lord Jesus. You have to put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross, not in your own good works, not in your own merit, but in what Jesus did on the cross. And friends, if you do that, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you become a child of God. Something for you to think about. You say, well, Gordon, I've already done that. I've already made that decision for Jesus. I'm already a child of God. So what does any of this have to do with me? Let's say amen and head for the restaurant, right? Uh, Hold on just a second. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's right, you're a child of God. But here's what I know, is not everyone that we love has made that decision. Not everyone that we care about has entered into a real and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so that becomes for us a pain point. That becomes for us a concern, a prayer request in our life, if you would. To have unsaved loved ones, to have lifelong friends that we care deeply about who, when they get to heaven's gates, aren't going to have the blood of Jesus covering them, but rather are going to have their good works, and God's going to say, I'm sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. And friends, that becomes a real point of worry, a real point of deep concern for us when we have loved ones who we know are facing a train wreck in eternity. So in the few moments that I have remaining, I want to share with you one more promise that God makes concerning unsaved loved ones. First, flip over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Um, This is the story of the Apostle Paul. He's been arrested in Philippi, and he's in jail in Philippi. And what we'll see in this story is God's desire to save your household. God's desire to save, to enter into a relationship with, see born again, your whole household. So Paul's in this prison, and uh, supernaturally an earthquake hits the prison uh, where Paul is, and the prison gates swing open, and the jailer comes, and he sees what's happened, and he thinks everybody's gone, and you know, if you're a Roman soldier, uh, and you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. And so he's preparing to jump on his sword. He's standing there looking at it. He's thinking about it. He's about ready to jump. And Paul yells out, hey, don't do that. No need doing that. We're still here. So hang tight, buddy. And so Paul gives him a chance to share the gospel with this guy, to tell him about the Lord Jesus, to tell him about his need to have his sins forgiven. And so the jailer says, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, he says to Paul, sirs, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved. And so look at Paul's response. Paul says to him, Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And who else? You and all your household. Now notice that the jailer wasn't asking for his children to be saved. He was asking for himself to be saved. He wasn't asking for his wife to be saved. He was asking for himself to be. He was concerned about himself in that moment. I'm sure later he would have wanted to tell his wife and tell his children about the Lord Jesus. But in that moment, he was asking for himself. He was desperate for a personal solution to his sin problem. What must I do to be saved? But if you look, Paul's response was not limited simply 
to the jailer. Paul's response reveals that it is God's desire that not only would this gentleman be saved, but that his whole household would be saved. Now, take time out here for a second. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying, nor is the scripture saying, that because this guy got saved, because this guy entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, that the rest of his household could have gotten into heaven as well. They had to make a personal relationship with Jesus. They had to engage him. They had to realize they had a sin problem that only Jesus can, could fix and turn to him for the forgiveness of their sins. That had to happen personally for each one of them. The scriptures are not saying that because this guy, the jailer, came to Jesus, that the rest of his family was good to go. That's not what the scripture is saying. That's not at all what's happening here. What it's saying and what it's revealing here is that it is God's desire that your whole household comes to know the Lord. Um, you say, Gordon, that seems kind of like an isolated text. To be teaching something like that. Is there any other places in Scripture where we see this revealed again? Yes, I'm so glad you asked. Y'all are really on point today with your questions. That's great. So look over at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. It's always been a wonderful passage of Scripture, one that I've uh, always... Uh, Held dear, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Friends, that is a promise that God makes to you. That is a promise about your household. That is a promise that God makes about your family. Um, I had class, I have class on Tuesday nights right now. We're actually just wrapped up another session, but we meet at 8 o'clock over the computer. Wonderful, I don't have to drive into Atlanta anymore, so I just go upstairs, meet with my class online, tell the girls, don't use up my internet, get off the internet. And so I go upstairs and I have my class for a couple hours, and we meet over the, over the computer. And so we had class uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my students, uh, African-American guy, about, maybe about my age or so, uh, very young man, very young man. He, um, he, he, uh, he grew up in New Orleans, and he was, had a single-parent home, had a, a brother and a sister, and um, they were raised in church. And his, um, his family was, because of Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, I know this was a lot of years ago, but Hurricane Katrina happened, and they were flooded out, and they were relocated uh, to the Atlanta area. He lives in Fayetteville area and had to rebuild their lives. He's a, a president of a bank now, pretty neat guy, and studying for the ministry. Pretty neat story. But um, he, said, uh, he said that you know, living in New Orleans, pretty rough town. He said living in a very rough part of town. And um, he said that uh, he knew the Lord. His mama knew the Lord. Um, his brother was out selling drugs. This is his older brother was out selling drugs, um, and that's just what he did. And he lived that whole culture, lived that whole lifestyle, um, out late at night, all that sort of thing. And uh, Brandon, this is the, the fellow's name, he said, um, he said, when I was growing up, probably, I guess maybe he was saying like 14, 15, 16 years of age, mid-teens, he said, uh, the Lord started waking me up in the middle of the night to pray for my brother. One o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning, and he said, I, I, I got up, and I, I, I would get out of my bed, and I'd pray for my brother, and he said the two of us actually shared a wall, right, 
like his bedroom, my bedroom, and, and our headboards were actually on opposite sides of that wall. He said, I, I was praying for my brother. And um, he said, uh, I, this went on for months and months and months and months. And I prayed for my brother. I prayed for my brother. Lord, wake me up 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I just get up obediently. I pray for my brother. Get back in bed. Go back to sleep. He said, uh, one Sunday or Saturday night or whatever, my brother said, I'm going to go to church with you in the morning. His brother's probably 18, 19 years of age at this point. And uh, they went to church together. And that morning, sorry, I'm like, I don't know, some weepy or something like that going on. I need some testosterone injections or something. (sighs) He said, uh, my brother gave his life to Jesus that Sunday morning. And um, he said, later that day, my brother told me, he said, I used to come home at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'd hear you praying for me. Months, I come home at three o'clock in the morning. I hear you praying for me. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Friends, it is God's desire that your household come to Christ. The world may have given up on them. Your family members may have given up on them. They may say words to you like they're a waste of time. That's wasted energy. Just just let them go. They're a lost cause. Well, friends, that is not what the B-I-B-L-E says. The Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not Depart from it. May not even have been your own child. May have been one that you had a hand in raising. May have been one that you brought to VBS. May have been one that you carried to youth group. Friends, but the seeds of the gospel were planted in their heart. And the scriptures say God promises that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Was your brother raised up in church? Alongside you? Was your daughter attending Sunday school and Wednesday night church? Did your uncle, who's not walking with the Lord right now, did he at one time learn the scriptures and know the scriptures? Friends, why would we so quickly abandon those whom God has promised will come unto himself. Stand in the gap for them. Find your knees for them. God will do what God said he would do. God's made you that promise. You pray to them. You pray for them. You lift them up before your Father in heaven to whom you have direct access. You lift them up to your Father in heaven who gives eternal life on the basis of the work that Jesus did on the cross. You lift them up 
to your Father in heaven who works through the mess and the ripping apart of your family and the difficult struggles that all of this experience carries us through. You lift them up to him and he will work through all of that for the good of those who love him. You lift them up to your Father in heaven who makes promises to us that he will keep because who can hold back the hand of God? God will accomplish all that God has set out to do. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you. We take hope in the promises that you have made us. There is peace in our heart this morning, starting to flood in, Jesus. Where it seemed like nothing but worry and fear and dread has governed our mind. Lord, may we hold on to and hear fresh and new your promises again, train them up in the way that they would go. So that one day, and they're old. They will not depart from it. And Lord, in between now and then, whether it's one o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon, Lord, you call on us to find our needs, to pray for those we love. Lord, as we gather around this table now, celebrating your broken body and your shed blood, our way to the Father. Just remind us again as we share communion, as we break bread together, of your great promises and of your intent to keep them. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen.